Well, good morning, everybody. We are about to dive into a highly anticipated series on relationships, and I am excited for this. I hope you are as well. Hope that little uh, bumper gave you a little bit of a tease as far as where we're going and what we're going to be talking about. Before we do, let me follow up Pastor James and welcome everybody this morning. It's good to be here today. It's good to be with each one of you. My name is Dave DeFrancesca, and my wife is amazing, and uh, she and I pastor this awesome church, and we're grateful for the opportunity, and we thank God for it every single day. We look forward to getting to meet you. If we've never met before, we'd love to meet you in the lobby on the way out afterwards as well. There is a lot going on here, and as we dive into I'm going to give you just a quick overview of a couple of things upcoming, but before I do, I want to show you a video. A friend of mine made this video. He has a really difficult, challenging job. For about 11 years now, he's gone to every Super Bowl to interview athletes of faith. Challenging. Somebody's got to do it, right? And so he made this video and sent it out to a few of us, and I want to just show it to you because it may encourage you as you watch a game tonight, as you sit back and enjoy it or hate it, whatever your perspective on it might be, um, it'll give you a little bit of an idea of the people behind the game itself. So check this video out. Football is what I do. It's not, you know, who I am. Um, who I am is who God calls me to be, and, and that's it. So Jesus Christ is, is my rock, is my Lord and Savior. That's who I live for, and that bleeds into, you know, how I love my teammates well, how, how I can have a good mindset, you know, when things are going well, when things aren't going well in football, in life. And my faith has helped me become a better person. It's helped me become a better leader, a better role model. Um, it's something that I live by every single day. Yeah, I mean, my faith is the most important thing in my life. It's the thing that keeps me grounded. Um, you know, I think the moment I start to, started to really, you know, enjoy my life more than I ever have is when I surrendered to God. And um, to me, it's, it's the thing that will always be consistent for me, no matter what happens in my life, good or bad. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed for that. Tell me what it means to you to have a relationship with Jesus, and how does that apply to your life? Uh, it means everything, man. I would not be here without him. I've been through many trials and tribulations, just like anybody has, and just to be able to lean on him and to be able to go to him and, and quiet in and, and, and my quiet time and be able to build my relationship with him is, is everything to me. I'm, I'm a faith-driven man. I believe in, in, uh, in faith being so important in so many different ways, not just on the football field, but in life in general. It's great to be able to put a story behind a name as you root for somebody this evening. How many of y'all going for the, chi uh, the 49ers? Yeah. How many of y'all don't care? Okay, who's going for the Chiefs? There we go, there we go, we got a couple, we got a couple. There will be an altar call at the end of the service and you can repent for your sinful heart. <laughs> um... Lots of fun, lots going on, lots to celebrate. Now, we uh, just started off small group. Small group season began, so make sure you join a small group. Um, I've heard some great stories already of people building friendships and finding community in small groups. If you're new here, let me just tell you, small groups are a massive part 
of what we do. They're at the core of who we are. And so uh, there's a QR code on the way out. You can scan it, get information on those, or you can also go to the website, myvenue.church, and you'll see a tab for small groups and get information there as well. Let me encourage you to dive in and sign up for a small group, show up at one, and get to know some more people, and let this extend beyond just Sunday morning only. Also, Growth Track is coming up the first Sunday of March, so put that on your calendar. If you're looking to um, join our dream team, get involved, be, become a part of the church, Growth Track is your next step Sunday evening, March 3rd. Also, the youth are doing a one-night, yeah. big one-night, and so, yeah, yeah, we are excited about that. First time we're doing it. Uh, Albert and Brittany are uh, hosting this as we are just doing an amazing thing. So we have off school the next day, and so we're just excited about this big one-night. If you want to serve and volunteer, see them. They'd love to get you, um, to get you on board. Just serve for that one night. You'll probably fall in love with the kids and want to do more. Even if you don't, you just serve that one night, and we would love to have you contribute and partner with us in reaching this generation as well. Uh, also, make note of the women's retreat. Uh, if you're interested in going on that, there is a QR code as well. You'll see it scroll through at some point, and you can get information off the website there, and ladies, sign up for that. We are about to dive into a brand new series called It's Not You, It's Me. How many of y'all ever told somebody those words? Somebody's lying in here. <laughs> All right, how many of y'all ever had those words said to you then? Probably you're on both sides of the coin. Like, it's not you, it's me. It was always a bailout. It was always a place of, like, I'm going to make an excuse. It really is you. It's the way that you do this. It's the way you thought about that. It's all about you, but I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm going to just say it's me. This series, though, is coming from the perspective that it actually should be a true statement. It's not you, it's me. In this single season of my life, it's not you, it's me. In our marriage, it's not you, it's me. It's not an excuse for who you are any longer, it's time to figure out who you are and discover how God has made you and figure out how am I going to live my life so I stop hiding behind this veil of painting a picture of who I'm not and who I wish I was, but becoming the person God has created me to be. So let's leave everybody else out of the equation. So if you're married, this series is for you. If you're divorced, this series is for you. If you're single, this series is for you. If you're a teenager, this series is for you. If you're engaged, this series is for you. If you're soon to be engaged, this series is for you. If you're soon to be divorced, this series is for you. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, this series is for you because we are going to unpack really some great insights this collection of talks to figure out how do I discover who I am so that I not just find somebody that fits me, that meets my needs, that helps me, but I become a part person that is full and complete and I step into every relationship already completed. completed. 
We can't walk into something being 75% of who we're called to be, 50% of who we're called to be, with this lie in the world that tells us that you need somebody else to complete you. We're going to talk about being single and satisfied. You don't need anybody else. The two most influential writers of the New Testament had one thing in common, Jesus and Paul, single. Singleness is a calling or it's a choice. It is not a curse. Parenting. We're going to walk into some parenting things, some ideas, some concepts. And we're, I think that we're just going to be unpack like the basics of marriage. What do I, not just like the basic, what we always cover, how do I build my marriage, but let's go down and kind of rip it apart and take this sheetrock off and get down to the studs and figure out what did I build this thing on. So as we go through it, don't feel like, well, I'm already married so I can skip single day. I don't think that's the attitude we should approach things with. But I think we should come at it from a place of, I'm going to be able to learn something from, as I studied for these things, I was learning. The Holy Spirit was opening my eyes and removing the scales so I could see things for what they need to be seen as. And removing some old mindsets. How many feel like you might have some old mindsets about relationships that need to be taken out and uprooted so God can put in a new direction in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2. We're going to pull out from the first man and woman that we have a story about. We're going to just sit down right there this morning and unpack Adam and Eve. I ask you to take good notes. I think they say you retain 49% of what you hear more you retain 49% more of what you hear when you take a note on it. So don't expect to just process this and think about it and remember it all. But I really believe that as we unpack this, we'll understand God's mindset behind marriage, dating, relationships, sex, all those things in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for being so good to us. God, I pray that you would open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to see, to hear, and to experience you like we never have. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Music has had such a massive influence on our lives. I read a statistic on the study of the psychology of music. It said 67% of the lyrics in every song since the 60s is about love. 67% of every song written since the 60s is about love. That's kind of a, amazing, but at the same time, you think about it, well, what else is a song about? Like, there's, there's not a whole lot of other concepts when it gets down to it that we're writing our music about. And so the love, the relationships, the different things. So music is such a big part of what we do. It shapes our culture. As a young person, when you were growing up, and maybe that's where you are today, you're discovering new music, and somebody's lyrics in that song help shape how you view relationships. Whether you agree with that statement or not, I bet it's true. Whether you have realized it or not, I dare you to think it possibly could be true. 
So no matter whether or not I was paying attention to the lyrics, whether or not the beat was just what I was in for, whether or not the band was what everybody was listening to, or whether or not I really liked the song that much, 67% of our music is shaping the way we think about love, sex, and relationships. So that's why we have to be extremely careful, cautious, aware, I should say. Now, now, now let's go back. Let me, let me give you a couple just thoughts. Have fun for just a moment. Have fun for just a moment. This song, this song was written, and maybe back in the day, maybe a, a generation or two ago, the mature people really, this is your song. And if it's your song, I love you. But just listen to the words Elvis wrote. Throw that slide up there. Wise men say, only fools rush in. But I can't help. Like, it doesn't matter what the wise people in my life are telling me. It doesn't matter what good counsel says. It just doesn't matter. I got really good advice. Don't you just walk away from that. I just like a fool. Just, just run in. My parents told me. My pastor told me. My youth pastor told me. My friends told me. That my BFF told me. Everybody said, don't. I just ran in. Should I stay? Would it be a sin? We won't stop there. We'll keep going. If I can't help falling in love with you. Like as if I can't control myself for whom I love. That we could spend a whole series on. Can I control whom I love? And this song, these lyrics, these thoughts, these ideas, do in a way shape the mindset. All right, let's bump, let's bump up. 90s. Yeah, yeah. 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 Come on. <laughs> Brian McKnight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, how about y'all? Slow dance to this one. One, you're like a dream come true. Two, I just want to be with you. Three, girl, it's plain. I wanted to sing them, but I just couldn't bring myself to. It's plain to see you're the only one for me. And four, like as if my plan didn't work, I'm going to go do the same plan again. I really feel like he's a stalker. Like, I'm trying to convince you, and you're not hearing what I'm telling you. And when I get through it all, if you don't believe me, I'll go back to one. Okay, here's one. Current generation. You know it's got to be, for all the Swifties out there, the most relevant pop star we have today. I have this thing where I get older, but just never wiser. Midnight's become my afternoons where my depression works the graveyard shift and all the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. I mean, these are deep lyrics. <laughs> I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in a crisis. I wake up screaming and dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming Somebody does not have a purpose from God for their life. Yeah. I, I mean, like, that's, 
Like, let's just put it out there. I realize it's a song. It's written to, to rhyme and to... But at least th- these things come from a place in somebody's life. And then this really is the core of this series. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Everybody agrees. It's me. Hi. Like, Elvis couldn't put, say it. Brian McKnight couldn't say it. But Taylor Swift said, hey, it's me. I'm the problem. It's not you. It's me. There's something in our lives that we have to understand that as we walk through life, there is a structure, a pattern, and an order that we must walk in, figure out what God has, and that if we want God's results, biblical, godly results, have we worked and walked in that pattern and that plan? I really do want you to take good notes. I want you to pay attention. I want to jump into Genesis chapter 2 now. Because here's the big idea for this whole message and this whole collection of talks. Don't focus on discovering the one. Focus on developing yourself into the one. Don't focus on discovering the one. Focus on developing yourself into the one. Tara and I have seen several marriage counselors over the years. Therapists, counselors. One in particular told us they wouldn't, that he would not counsel us together. He said, because all you're going to do is throw knives at each other in the session. He said, so I'll work with you, Dave, and I'll work with you, Tara, separately, because if I can develop you each into the person you need to be, your marriage will be a byproduct of healthy people. That's right. I said, well, that's kind of smart. See, if you can develop yourself into the person, Genesis chapter 2, we got to keep moving. Genesis 2, 2, 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the tree of life, uh, the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord said to him, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God said it's not good for man, humanity, to be alone. You need relationships. God is for relationships. Relationships were God's idea, a part of his creation. And he said, it's not good for you to be alone and by yourself and isolated. So I'm going to make somebody, he made a helper suitable for him. We're going to break that down more in just a moment. But write this down, number one. Before I discover my person, I need to discover my purpose. Adam was created by God with a divine purpose. And what does God give Adam before he gives him Eve? A J-O-B, a job, a purpose. Adam says, here's what you are to do with your life. And when God saw that Adam fulfilled and did with his life what God had told him to do, then he took him to step number two and brought him a suitable person. How many ladies 
on your job description for a husband to have a job. Like when you wrote it out and said, I want the man, and he's got to be six foot something, he's got to have this many abs. <laughs> abs and job, where did they go? <laughs> On the list, let's be honest. In proper alignment, purpose precedes person. Ephesians chapter 2 Paul wrote, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in this season, God has a purpose for you. Single, he's got a purpose. Divorced, he's got a purpose. Married, he has a purpose. Each person has a purpose. In our lives, the, the problem is, and we go back to week number three of our last series talking about purpose, Oftentimes we put person in front of purpose and then we get the two confused and here's what happens Let me give you a quick rundown because if a if a girl walks along and she's living her life and she says God I want to live for you I want you and she's living her life and she's trying to figure it out somewhere along the way that God is working that out with her She says I want to start a bakery. She decides then she wants to go back to college then she changes her mind again and she decides she wants to be this thing or that thing. Along the way, somewhere in there, she runs into a man. And when you run into a man, suddenly now, you realize, for oftentimes, it becomes a case where then whatever he wants to do is what she wants to do. And you submit what God has created you to do into whatever it is he's called to do. But you should realize, ma'am, you have a purpose by God. And he has created you to do something with your life. And you can do it together with a person. Adam said, now she is woman, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, taken from my rib. She's right alongside of me. He understood it's not to dominate her, and it's also not for her to dominate me. But it's to walk along life with somebody side by side. We both know our purpose. Now, purpose oftentimes gets really cloudy and muddy. And we tried to clear that up in week three. If you want to go back and watch it, I don't have a lot of time this morning. But your purpose is you're created to glorify God. I'm created to serve God. I am created with my life to live for Him. And when I'm living for Him, then I begin to see what it is I like to do. So if I am, if she's walking along and she's living her life and God, and she's serving God and she's in her church and she's involved and she's living and she's all these things, and God wants her to move somewhere and then she meets a guy and he doesn't want to move anywhere he feels planted he's already invested he has a company they have a crisis so she feels like she's got to lay down her dreams to pick up his and after 10 years 10 times out of 10 this is what happens she resents him because she thought she found her purpose she laid it down for him and now she's full of resentment, three kids, 10 years, and his dream is being fulfilled, and hers is not. So we have these scenarios, and you could flip it. I could tell stories from the guy's perspective, from either point of view. We could interview people. We could talk to people and understand that if we're not careful and we get the person before the purpose, see, you can live your life with God, and then suddenly you'll find him. Now, if you say, well, that's my story. Dave, that's where we are. We're in a place right now where I'm resentful towards my spouse because I feel like, and I've never told anybody this, 
or I've just recently seen it, but I thought I'd do this with my life, but I'm not having it. And I thought I'd go here, but I haven't. Listen to me. There is still something for you to do. You do not need to walk away from your family and find somebody else. You do not need to give up on your dreams either. God is a God who redeems and restores. So you can believe now, God, now that I'm in this space, now give me a fresh vision. And because God put the dream there to start with. So God, what do you want me to do? And I'm telling you, most of what that dream is in our lives can be walked out in the local church. There are areas that you need other places and other things. But most of that purpose that God puts in you, whether it's to sing, to speak, to lead, to serve, whatever it might be. And some of y'all are like, that just, is that really, it's not that complicated at that level. When you are fulfilling the purpose of God in your life, to worship him by serving him, it's amazing how the other pieces come into play. You're reading your word. You're involved in a small group. You're walking and serving and living and giving. And all of these areas are submitted to God. It is absolutely amazing how we get to a place that God fixes things in our lives from there. Verse 16 says, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Point number two is simply this. Before I make a covenant, I need to learn to make wise choices. So before I find my person, I find my purpose. And before I make covenant, I need to learn how to make wise choices. It astounds me. When people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm ready to get married. I was a youth pastor 10 years. Pastor, I'm ready to get married. And I'm thinking, that is the second biggest decision of your life. And you can't keep your car clean, and you think you're ready to find a spouse? You don't have a car wash membership? You don't know how to get the little vacuum and get down in there? You got french fries in the console, and you think you're ready to get married? Wise choices precede covenant. Are you able to make a decision and say, God, this is what, God put a test. Hey, you're able to eat from any tree in the whole garden. Not that one. And every day, Adam walked by that tree. Nope. Wise choice. Nope. Wise choice. Nope. Why? Marriage, listen to me. Marriage doesn't fix your problems. It amplifies them. Marriage magnifies. It puts more of a spotlight. How many guys I've talked to struggled with pornography, but I thought when I got married, it would go away. When you got married, it got worse. Why? Because you weren't able to make a wise choice to get lust out of your life, and now it's just multiplied and magnified over because you're Fulfillment is not coming in the expectation you thought it would come in, so you're used to using something else. We have to learn to make wise choices before we make this thing called covenant. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much, but whoever is dishonest with a little will be dishonest with much. I dare you when you're dating somebody and you really get to know them. Like, get, get, get to know them. 
get to know them. And you're on the verge, and you know they're about to propose to you. Ma'am, ask him, can I see your giving statement for last year? <laughs> I, I met this pastor not too long ago. And he said he has three daughters. His requirements for marrying his daughters, one of them was he would ask to see a W-2 and a giving statement for the last five years. Are you working and are you giving? Before he would give his blessing. And he said the truth was, I didn't even want to look at it. I just want to know that they had it. This covenant, this marriage is so much bigger than we understand and we wrap our minds around. Marriage magnifies us. Magnifies those things inside of us. It is so interesting that God looks at Adam and says, it's not good, bro, you're alone. It's not good. Let's fix that. So he gives Adam a helper suitable for him. God saw him and gave him her. God saw him and gave him her. Your er matters. The er in your life matters because whatever is not modified gets magnified. So if you haven't fixed a thing, it's only going to get worse. But whatever you have that's healthy gets even healthier. Er. Er. A help. Er. So wherever in your life you're strong, when you get married, you get strong. Er. Wherever in your life you're wise, when you're married, you get wise. Er. In your life, your er matters. God said, I need to give you a help, er, so that I can add to what you're already doing. The person comes along, and now two are better than one. But it's the same way on both sides. If you're at the same time making poor choices, man, if he's lazy now, he's going to be lazy er after marriage. <laughs> if he's broke now, he's going to be broke er after marriage. If he works now, he's going to be worker and harder. That one didn't work out right. <laughs> As we get married, it only magnifies who we already are. And we do these things, we get them mixed up and confused. As you are waiting for God to add to your life the er, Work on yourself so that when that comes along, it just builds on that momentum you've created. Number three, Genesis, as we read on, it says this, verse 19. The Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man, that, what a great job Adam had naming animals. He got lazy sometimes. Blackbird, <laughs> bluebird, redbird. And then some days he had too much coffee. Like, hippopotamus. <laughs> like, I just, I just, this is where my mind goes. When I read these stories, I get lost. You want to talk about chasing rabbits? <laughs> Me thinking about Adam naming animals. So that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock. The birds, the wild animals, 
But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Bible trivia question. When was the first time God mentioned Adam's name in the Bible? God gave Adam his name after he fulfilled his job and named all the animals. Adam name is now recorded. This is the first time he's referred to. Before then, he was referred to as the man. Before I pursue intimacy, I need to pursue my identity. It's already time. This series is going to be fun. Before I pursue intimacy, I need to pursue my identity. And there's people in here that have shaped their identity around other people. You've let somebody else, what they do, who they are, determine who you are, how you want to be known. The person you identify with based upon affection, based upon title, based upon experience, based upon ability. The enemy would like nothing better than for you to base your identity off of somebody else's. And for you to get to a place of intimacy with them, and then that's how you now identify your identity for yourself. This is why it is not only just super spiritual, it's super practical to not sleep with somebody before you're married. Because you're putting intimacy ahead of identity. And suddenly, see, one of the best parts of doing weddings is at the very end, and I say, I would like to present for you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Boom, boom, boom. And identify them now by who they are. And after they've been identified as to their new names and who they are, together as one, they are now able to step into intimacy and it doesn't trump identity. But when you put intimacy in front of identity, it clouds everything you're looking at. The waters are muddy. Everything about what you're trying to figure out cannot be figured out if you're sleeping with somebody. If you are caught up in a sexual relationship, in marriage, outside of marriage, in marriage with somebody you're not married to, outside of marriage, your vision is skewed. And you're not able to see and make wise choices. And your identity, who you see yourself as, is compromised. The enemy would like you to just base who you are off of that. So let me make a couple strong statements. And I'll speak to the men first. It may sound hard, and you may get mad at me, but be open. Men, you do not need a woman to be respected and successful. You don't need a woman to be respected and successful. You can identify as a respected, successful human man on your own. Not based on how much money you make. Not based on how many women you've been with. 
not based on a lot of other factors that we would use to identify how successful I am in life. Ladies, don't get mad. You don't need a man to be secure and confident. You don't need a man to cause you to find security in your life and put confidence in you. God, in Christ, you can find security and confidence for who he's created you to be. But when we compromise that, we exchange intimacy for identity. You're exchanging it. You're giving it up. You say, I'll give you my security if you give me yours. Just hold me. And we oftentimes walk in this place where we're allowing something to get in the way and not seeing it. We can't see it because our vision's cloudy. We need to understand that before we pursue intimacy, I need to know who I am in Christ. And that is such a big statement, but it is not that difficult to begin to do. It means I live for him. I make choices based on him. It means I worship him. It means I have made disciplines in my life that I'm going to be a part of a local church. I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to serve in my church. I'm going to be a person that is loving, that is generous, that is helpful, that is there for other people, that is not putting myself first but putting somebody else first. I'm going to love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. Even when I don't have somebody else in my life and I feel lonely at times, I'm still going to be in a place where God I choose you. Verse 21 says, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. And lastly, number four, before I pursue a relationship, I will pursue rest. This is not physical sleep. This is not us going to bed at night, night, and taking melatonin or Ambien. This is me being in a place where I'm at rest in who God has made me to be. Adam, lay down. Now, Adam went into a sleep because God had to do a physical surgery on him. But we need to rest in God because God needs to do some emotional work on us. Some mental work on us. Some spiritual work on us so that I'm resting in him. So now as I'm resting in him... This is really interesting. Until I'm content with God, I'll never be truly content with somebody else. Got to have a date. Can't be alone. Need somebody with me when I go to functions and events. I got to get rid of this virginity that I'm being made fun of for. I want to be accepted by my friends or strangers. I want to be like them, so I do things like them. I'm compromising all of my convictions based upon their perspective of me, and I'm restless instead of resting. When you live your life where you're compromising your convictions, you will be completely restless inside. And if you're not, if you're living your life where, God, I know this is what you've called me to do, what you want me to do with my life, you are in a place where you are resting. Not sleeping, but you're at peace with who you are. And sometimes we wonder why we don't have peace from God. 
in our lives. God's saying, I gave you peace, but you're not doing things that create peace for you. Find your satisfaction, your security in who God is. Verse 22, God made the woman from the rib, taken out of the man, and he brought her to him. Ah, Sunday school, we got this so wrong. How many Sunday school people? Church, why we got this wrong? We talked about how when Adam went to sleep under that anesthesia and woke up, there was Eve and Adam said, whoa, man. It's like the age-old joke. It's terrible. And that's how God called him, called her woman. Because Adam said, whoa. I think we read that wrong. Then God made the woman from the rib, taken out of the man, and he brought her to him. He brought her to him. Before God brought Eve to Adam, Eve was already with God. Before Adam saw her, God saw her. Before Eve saw him, God, Eve saw him. Eve had discovered who God was before Adam discovered who she was. And when you understand that resting in him, Adam's resting, Eve is resting, and God coordinates this thing and brings it together. Well, Pastor, there's nobody else on the earth. I'd argue that, but I don't have time. <laughs> Y'all are like, what's he talking about? I don't have time. Adam and Eve. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. They had sex. Think, think about this. I'm going to give you two points as we're going to close out. They became one flesh. And they both were naked and they felt no shame. I know we have some kids in here. They're hearing the word sex, school, friends, all around. I'm convinced the best place for them to hear this word is in the church. And under the precepts that God set it in. And God said, hey, 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 when I have put you together and brought you together and you're in this place of marriage, now you can enter into this thing called sex. And it's everything God created it to be. It's healthy. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. God's idea. And they were naked and they felt no shame. The first time we have the word shame in the Bible, and it does not have a negative connotation. Why? Because they did things God's way. They walked out his pattern and his plan. Too many times we're missing this thing, and we're messing this thing up because we're getting ahead of God. The old getting the cart before the horse with my purpose, my identity, my rest. I'm putting things ahead of schedule. 
Pastor, I don't know what God's schedule is. I don't either. I was single 28 years, 29 before I got married. Let's break things down in this series. Let's really go after some stuff. The goal is to not be a virgin when you get married. The goal is to have virtue. The goal is to know why you're doing what you're doing, single people, young people. The goal is not the goal we've set. We, we got this messed up mindset in a way, and I really just want to break things down. Yes, that's a part of it. When you live a virtuous life, you will abstain from sex until you're married. It's a byproduct. But let's not make it the goal. Because the goal is they felt no shame. Stand with me this morning, just for a moment. I know it gets heavy here. I know it gets a little weird. It gets a little bit... I'm not worried about it. Because the challenge is, a lot of times, what we have is we're really comfortable about talking about these things to our friends, in our circles, in our groups. But then there becomes this awkwardness in the church if we talk about it in a group. Why is that? It's in the Bible. It's in the Word. If we preach the whole Word, if we give the full gospel, let's set it straight and let's be in there. And what does it say about how we're to live our lives? If you feel something in your heart right now, you're in the best place possible. If you feel something in your emotions right now, like, I haven't been doing this thing right. Maybe you feel like, man, I didn't do it right. And I feel like my marriage is jacked up because I got all that air. All four of those things you screwed up. Three out of four you screwed up. Two out of four you screwed up. I only got one wrong. But you feel the weight of it right now. God can lift that weight off of your life. He is the one that removes the guilt and shame of sin. I didn't present all this to you to make you feel bad and go, well, that's just why we are. There's no help. That's why I lost my marriage because of that. You're divorced and wondering like, that, well, that, that explains it. I'm not trying to explain it so you get a solution. I'm explaining it so you get a savior. And when you get a savior, you get a new solution that will work this time. Not because I said so, but because his word says so. Because when you practice these principles, and moms and dads, have your kids here every Sunday. Like, have them in here. We'll have ours in here. Not the five-year-old. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. But these are conversations we need to be having. Why? Because the first person to tell your kids about sex controls the narrative they believe. So if mom and dad aren't the first ones to say, it's wonderful, this is what the Bible says, it was God's idea, let me tell you why. But it's like fire and it will burn you if it's out of context. Whoever tells them first controls the narrative. Think about your life. If somebody failed to explain things to you and talk to you, and that may be a result. You may be a result of some of those things. Maybe you need to make better parenting choices, better parenting decisions. Maybe where you are right now in your life, you're like, that's where I am. Just close your eyes for a moment. If you feel the weight, 
don't want anybody to feel shame. God doesn't want anybody to feel shame. They were naked and felt no shame. But there is a place when you become vulnerable before God. And you would think God would pile on every bit of feeling in you. And he doesn't. When you stand before God transparent and vulnerable, you can feel shame-free because of what Jesus did in us. You say, Dave, I want to experience that today. I want to know what that's like today. I want to walk in. I want to live in that. I want to have no more regrets about my past. I want to start new. From this day forward, everything, whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, no matter what, no matter where you are on the age spectrum, from this moment forward, you can change everything about your relationships and the way you look at them. And you can walk out of here with a new mindset. That's your own prayer for you. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for being so good to us, so real to us, so alive to us. God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us in that area of our lives that we need to get right. God, we don't want regrets, remorse. But God, we do want to know that we made changes. No matter where we are on the spectrum today, we're committed to making changes. If that's you, just tell God, God, I'm changing things. God, I'm sorry about the way things were. Forgive me. Take that shame away. Take that guilt away. Take that feeling away. Take that knowing away. And fill me with the presence of knowing that from this day forward, I'm going to live my life in the pattern and the order you laid out. Not according to the culture of the world. Not shaped by their songs and their mottos and their virtues, but shaped by yours. God, we are your people. Lead us and guide us. Use us. God, I left you about two minutes right here to remind yourself, to make a resolve on the inside. God, I'm going to get my purpose back. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to serve you because you are worthy of it all. Worthy of my time. Worthy of my resources, my efforts. Come on, church, lift your hands. Get free from something this morning. Let shame go. Let conviction go. Let guilt go.
Oh. Father, we thank you, Lord. You're such a good God. Can you feel His Spirit in here today? Amen. He is here. And uh, I tell you what, that was a fantastic word for everybody in this building. When he came up to start playing the piano, I'm like, oh, man. But um, I tell you what, just a couple of things real quick and we'll, we'll get you dismissed. On your seat, if you notice, there's an orange connect card there. And, uh, and if you've never filled one of those out, if this is your first time today, we would love for you to fill that out. And, um, and there's some things on there. You can be baptized. You can talk to a pastor. You can do all sorts of things. Join a small group. Just fill that out and throw it at the uh, next step table, which is out in the lobby on the right-hand side. And we would love to just have a record of your visit. And um, But if you would do that, we would really, really appreciate it. And also, if you call the Avenue Church your home, uh, we thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. If you're new here, if it's your first time, um, this gift to the service to you, we don't want your money. But I tell you what, if you call the Avenue Church your home, we appreciate you for being faithful. We can't do it without you. And uh, we just love you and thank you for that. So today... Whether you're going to go home and watch the Super Bowl or not, we want you to enjoy today and the whole rest of your week in Jesus. And think on this word. It was so, so good. Go back and watch it again on YouTube or on our Facebook page. But um, anyway, have a great, great rest of your afternoon. Amen.